the 1990s may very well be known to football fans as the era of relocation, expansion, and innovation. Well-known players switched teams. John Montana suited up for Kansas City. Jim McMahon held a clipboard for Green Bay. But players weren't the only ones on the move in the 1990s. Cleveland moved to Baltimore, and Houston moved to Nashville. The league was growing. By the end of the decade, innovations such as video review, pioneered by the bizarre USFL, were adopted. The rulebook wasn't the only aspect of the NFL expanding. While fans in Buffalo were left to deal with the heartbreak of losing four straight Super Bowls in the 90s on their own, fans in Cleveland and Houston could take solace in the fact that they had a fresh start on the horizon. A form of the Browns returned to Cleveland, and an entirely new franchise arrived in Houston, creatively and appropriately named the Texans. From their humble beginnings under the guidance of head coach Dom Capers to their much-appreciated appearance on NFL's Hard Knocks, the Texans have struggled to find their identity. The most recent iteration of the team, one centered on Deshaun Watson, had promised but failed, resulting in head coach Bill O'Brien's departure. However, Romeo Cornell was fully prepared to best his friend Matt Nagy on Sunday as the Texans took on the Chicago Bears. This is David and Drew Sports Talk. Hi, everybody. I'm Drew. He's David. And David, the Bears handled the Texans on Sunday pretty handedly in a 36-7 win. Notably, the second half, they've run into a lot of trouble in the third quarter of the season. And it seemed like this year that was no different. Should fans be excited about the Bears winning in such a commanding fashion? Or should this be a concern that this is a mediocre team matching up against a team that's really on the downturn? Should this be exciting for people? Or should people really... Um, wait to get excited about a potential playoff run in that seventh seed. I mean, Drew, we can't rule every, anything out yet. I mean, the Bears are still in the playoff hunt. They have a divisional game coming up this uh, this Sunday, and both the Vikings and them share the same record. That being said, the Bears played well this past Sunday against a pretty beaten-up Texans team. Obviously, Deshaun Watson doesn't have a lot of help on the offensive side of the ball. I, we can't take anything away from the Bears. They bounced back after losing six games. Trubisky looked the most comfortable and confident. Uh, that he has all season long. And quite frankly, he was in the most command I've seen him during his career with the Bears. Um, We were talking about this earlier, Drew. I thought the Bears, especially Nagy himself, did a great job of simplifying things for uh, Trubisky and the Bears offense. And he got the ball to his playmakers. They got the ball in space. A-Rob was finally able to break Uh, get some yards after the catch. Mooney was a big player. And you got eight total receptions being four each between Graham and uh, Komet with the tight end. So all in all, a stellar performance. We can't rule anything out. I think this is a positive sign. We want to create a trend though. So we need to get a win against the Vikings and against the Jaguars. And we'll see if the Packers will sit their starters in the final week, which would be awesome. So it sounds like you're you're saying that we should be excited, but just wait a little longer until we start getting our hopes too high. Deshaun Watson and Mitch Trubisky are two names along with Patrick Mahomes. Maybe we'll cover that in the future. They're two names that will always come up in the broadcast whenever they match up against each other for being the same draft class and having Mitch Trubisky go so much higher to a team that much needed a quarterback right after Deshaun Watson won the national championship. So one of the stories to this game would be those two and their quarterback play. I don't think Deshaun had a bad game, but I'd like to hear your take. Did Mitch Trubisky finally place himself in the conversation with those elite quarterbacks, or was this just a matter matter of a depleted secondary against a an offense that was ready, that has a lot of playmakers, like you said. Yeah, I mean, 
the, the Bears are playing a depleted second, secondary. Again, I'm not going to take anything away from Mitchell. He was pretty decisive with his decisions and showed a lot of poise. I think the big thing was Nagy reverted back to that first year with Trubisky, where was, there was a one-read type of play. And Trubisky was smart. And the thing was, the Bears were making plays in space. So, But also answering your second question with Deshaun and Mitchell, I, I don't think Deshaun played poorly. He didn't turn over the ball. He had a touchdown pass and had a pretty solid completion percentage. He's 21 for 30. I think Trubisky and his teammates just played better that day. That being said, I still think Deshaun's the better quarterback. Mitchell, in reality, I think the Bears reached for him. They probably could have gotten him in the third or fourth round. But, you know, reverting back to that draft, he was, you know, by the eye test, and phys- he's very physically gifted. But between what Mahomes and Watson offered, um, they were first rounders, and Trubisky's third or fourth rounder. It will be interesting to see if the Bears do get a little intrigued by Trubisky's performances the last couple of weeks, and see where they go from here. And they might sign him to a team-friendly deal, maybe a one or two-year deal, and we'll see how the Bears finish. They might just squeak into the playoffs. When we're assessing Mitch Trubisky. And you mentioned the reverting to the quote-unquote one-read offense. Here's one thing that's standing out to me. When you look at the yards after catch stat, uh, on whatever you use to get your stats in football, Mitch is averaging a yard and a half further than Nick Foles. And so when I see somebody have a yards after catch, like a high number for that stat, okay, so for anyone who doesn't know, that means that like the receiver is catching the pass, they're getting more yardage after they initially catch the pass, right? And so when I see that step higher in comparison to another player, I think it's easy to think that, oh, the receiver's doing all the work. Well, that's not necessarily what might be happening. What might be happening is that quarterback with the higher yards after catch number might be finding the guys who are open. Maybe it was that Nick Foles also couldn't really read who was open because we did see him rifle in a lot of balls when he was starting. I think that people are underestimating Mitch Trubisky's ability. You can't deny that number is impressive. Those are, And that average is on par with Tom Brady from 2019. So I, I think we should count him out. Mitch can play, okay? Yeah, He's Mitch is good. Somewhere. He's I serviceable. Don't, I don't believe these people are like, oh, he's going to go be a backup somewhere because those are people who they, they solely consume football through the lens of media instead of critical media rather than consuming it for themselves by watching the games or, you know, like really looking at Mitch's play. And so I don't really buy that he's going to be a backup. And I think if the Bears are going to keep him, they're going to be paying, like I said before, more than they should have been paying because of some bad long-term thinking or long-term planning. But, I, I mean, maybe that's a point where we can disagree and we'll see whose vision for the Bears in the long run turns out to be more accurate. But that, that's just kind of my take on the whole Mitch versus Deshaun situation. And I think Mitch is underrated right now. And I think any wise GM, it would behoove them to go after Mitch because um, they're going to get a lot of football out of him. Yeah, Drew, um, I think the talk is with the Indianapolis Colts, Frank Wright would be a good fit. And obviously with Phil, uh, Phil Rivers having a, a small deal being a one-year deal, um, I think he could compete for the job with Jacoby Brissett, who's a great quarterback. So you never know what could happen. Yeah, I mean, he, he could be in New England, too. I he could, he could. Either. I think the talk uh, is Stafford in New England, though. What do you think? Uh, I don't think so. Not with that GM. That stingy GM who likes to get as much out of his players for uh, in, in an economical uh, situation, I think, is what he's looking for. I, I don't know. I mean, that also, not to get off topic, but I think that defense needs to be rebuilt a little bit. I think they're – well, here's an, there's a lot of curveballs to that whole situation because, I mean, a lot of that defense over there in New England was – 
they opted out um, of the 2020 season. So they're going to be getting a lot of guys back. So, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe they do go after someone more expensive on offense, but I, I, I would doubt that. But, but focusing on the Bears, this O-line is good. And I've said it the whole year. And <laughs> you have. This week, this week, they found a combo that works. And I don't think it's – like, why is it so crazy to understand that when you lose – three or four guys over the course of two weeks are going to go through a bit of a lull on the O-line. You know, this team is built to run zone concepts, get four yards of rush, and bust off one big one a game, and that's what they did on Sunday. They did. Montgomery looked the best he's looked all year, probably all of his career so far. That was I hadn't seen that kind of speed before from him. Well, here's my question, David. Have you finally been persuaded into the camp that this is a well-built solid O-line, or are you, are you holding out? Are you expecting more, and are you expecting the Bears to make changes this offseason? That's a great question. I know they like Cody Whitehair at center. Um, I do think with they found something potentially with the Notre Dame guys being Alex Bars and Sam Mustafer. It will be interesting when James Daniels gets back because I've read a lot about him, and apparently Juan Castillo, um, the Bears offensive line coach, is extremely high on him. So we'll see. I don't know. That's the thing. This year, 2020 has been weird. The Bears have have a lot of pieces on this team but can they get that cohesive synergy that teams need to have to be successful I don't know but Drew I'm beginning to kind of see through your lens a little bit I think we have something here with the O-line let's not let's not uh, get ahead of ourselves though they were playing a pretty bad Texan team so the run defense to me was weak but you can't deny that they had some quality players. They had J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless, who are no players to shrug. Those are quality players. It wasn't completely something to be overlooked, I guess is what I'm saying. But I would agree that, that the run defense was not good. And you take away that 80-yard run, and they only put up about, what, like 40 yards total on top of that. That being said, when you put, off an, put up an 80-yard run, run, in the first play from scrimmage, you know, you might not be calling as many runs because you don't have to, especially when you put up 23 points in the second quarter. It's a, just a, that's something that Matt Nagy always says about the pace of the game. Okay, like that's understood. Um, and this idea that by being aggressive, you have to pass a lot in the second half, which that, that, that's kind of the other thing I want to get to, David. This team only put up six six points after the second quarter. There were only six points scored in the second half of the game. And so is that not an indicator that what we've been talking about over the past, I guess, six weeks or so, this, the length of this losing streak, about how the real problem is, of this team is the decision-making and the strategic planning of this coaching staff? Because I, to me, I think third quarter indicates, and this is probably obvious for a lot of people who love football, the coach can't make the adjustments in the halftime, or he doesn't come out with a plan that he's confident about in the third quarter. It is interesting. The Bears do kind of get complacent heading into halftime, especially when they hold massive leads. I think they're up, what was it, 23 to 7 heading into halftime, or did they get a field goal? I think it was 30. 30, okay. So they, they the punched it in. The score was 36-7, I believe there were only two field yeah, goals. Yeah, 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 you're right. They threw the touchdown pass to A-Rob over the middle. Anyway, I, I think when you have that big a commanding of a lead, that was the biggest lead the Bears have had all year. I'm sure the coaching staff felt great. The defense felt great. And to be honest, like maybe they did get a little complacent. It's just interesting. We have seen a trend that the Bears do not score in the third quarter. I think they've only done it once this year, twice. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to check on that. Yeah, but, you know, I, I, I do think you talk about the strategic 
decision making of Nagy and some whether it be timeouts or whether it be the complacency heading into half it is interesting the Bears didn't put the pedal to the metal in the second half they probably played a little bit safer um, but the defense still brought it wouldn't you say that Drew yeah I would and I, I guess the one thing though is that I think that people have high expectations for this team and so what you would have liked to have seen is probably a touchdown a quarter right I, I think that'd be a really good goal for that consistency aspect and so when you see a team with such high expectations go in and then start putting up just consistent field goals it just is a little bit of a cause for concern you'd like to see at least a touchdown or two when you're blowing out a team in the second half because we see a lot of the dominant teams i mean like you watch that monday night game this week but i mean they were like what it seemed like 20 touchdowns in the fourth quarter you know <laughs> yeah, like, yeah yeah You'd like to see an explo- a quote-unquote explosive offense explode in the fourth quarter, right? That's kind of what you want to see. And, you know, it's um, that's the type of league it is. You, you don't ever let up because you know teams can come back as the Bears have learned this year. So I, I guess that's one reason I, I, that I think that it needs to be touched on. But like you said, the defense played great and the pass rush got home. So here's a question, David. This pass rush has been well invested in for the Chicago Bears, and we see them put up numbers in a game that essentially everybody expected them to win after, like, week three. And mm-hmm. maybe after, like, week 12, they're like, oh, geez, I don't know. The Texans and the Bears, I don't know. Is it frustrating for you as a spectator to see the defense producing in a game that essentially they should have won? You know, like, would you rather see those stats – spread out across a couple of games rather than seeing them explode in a game like the one that was played on Sunday. So you're saying would I rather have a more consistent effort or instead of a feast or famine kind of approach? I Yeah, no, I, I think the Bears, they haven't necessarily had a consistent pass rush all year. It was great to see, uh, obviously, your boy Roquan Smith had a great game, eight tackles. I think he got home twice. Uh, they had a nice pickup with Urban. He's been a solid player for them. He got a sack. And obviously, Mac brought it, and he had his uh, sack safety. And Robert Quinn almost had one. And quite honestly, it was almost a strip sack. Just barely got away from him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, the, the, the Texans did not do not have a lot of pieces on the offense. Deshaun Watson is such a gifted quarterback that he's making things happen and making them at least competitive in games. But the Bears definitely brought it. Um, I think it's a great effort. Heading into the offseason, there's been a lot of talk about looking into their scouting departments and did they miss on Robert Quinn because there's a lot of financial investment into him when they could have easily signed Nick Kwiatkowski for a cheap deal, but they decided to bring, bring back Trevathan. I mean, there's pieces on this defense. And we were talking beforehand, Drew, I think a lot of the linebackers' success comes from the push of the uh, defensive line. And who are we missing? We're missing Eddie Goldman because he, he decided he elected to sit out this year, which I don't blame him. I mean, we got a pandemic going on. He made a decision for, that was best for his family. I don't think we can knock him for that. Yeah, it I does, get it. It does impact the result that we have on Sundays. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, so it was a great performance. I'm sure Pagano was ecstatic. The Bears defense kind of fell off a little bit. And I don't blame them when the offense wasn't initially producing the last couple of games. That's a lot of pressure on the defense. Yeah, I, I would agree. And there, like we've said before, there's no transparency in this league. You know, we can't really know what's going on until people end up 
you know, running short of money and needing to write books in about 20 years, right? That's when you find out all the secrets about a team. Usually you don't know a lot about the behind the scenes stuff until later. So we don't really know what's going on. There was a drop off for a couple of weeks here, right? And whether that's like, I mean, there's general fatigue. Anyone who plays football, I know David can probably attest to this. You know, you go through a long season and essentially every week you're going through high impact hits and, you know, it can get really draining when you go through, I mean, these guys are playing the longest seasons any football league really plays, any serious football league. And so there is a bit of a lull late in seasons, and that happens to every football team. Yeah. But it can't be an excuse. It was concerning, but it's good to see the defense was getting home on Sundays, especially against such a skilled and elusive quarterback like Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. But, but here's the thing. They have another skilled quarterback who I think is playing a lot better than he ever has in Kirk Cousins coming up on Sunday, and like Matt Nagy said, he calls it a 1-0 mentality. It's really a make-or-break mentality for the Bears, quite honestly. Hopefully, we see the Bears really bring it this week, because they're going to need to, but David, what are you going to be looking for in the Vikings? I mean, is Kirk Cousins just going to come in and just ruin the Bears' hopes for the playoffs, or do the Bears have a shot? Are the Bears going to bring it all on Sunday, and are they going to really make a statement finally and prove that the Vikings are in the lower half of the NFC North. Dude, that's such an interesting question, Drew, because I think back to the Monday night performance of Kirk Cousins, and that was one of his, probably his best performances on national television I've ever experienced. And I think about the plays and what, how they got him to feel comfortable. It's very reminiscent of what the Bears did this past weekend. They got Mitch Trubisky rolling out with those easy reads and then he got it to the playmakers with Jordan Jefferson. I don't think the Vikings are going to cash in again. I don't think they're going to sweep the Bears this year. The Bears are too good to, like, get fooled twice. Kirk Cousins is good. He's played better this year. He's been a little bit more consistent. I think the Bears are going to do just fine. I think it will be another tightly played game, kind of a uh, low-scoring, tightly played game. Um, and it'll be heavily defensive. The Vikings on on the defensive side of the ball are always well coached, being that Zimmer, that's his specialty, their head coach. And I, I think it will be a very defensive game. There will be a lot of strategy, and we'll see who wins the chess match. Obviously, Zimmer won last time the Bears played, so we'll see. The first time the Bears met, he had Nick Bowles. Things did not end well, if you recall. I believe he was injured at the end of that game mm-hmm. that was kind of just a nightmare game i think for the bears and here's the bright spot the bears defense put up and shut down a running back who could have had a strong argument for mvp at that point in the season in Alvin Cook. yeah i mean they he's the best running back down. in the league for sure i mean now the conversation for best running back in the league might be about four or five guys at this point but at that point here's the best running back in the league like no doubt and so the Bears' defense really put up against the Vikes, but the Bears' offense, led by Nick Foles, did not look quite themselves. So here's the question. Could this be, like, a major upset game with Mitch Trubisky playing the way he has over the past three weeks? Even in that Packers game, even though the score didn't show it, this is a different Mitch Trubisky. I would argue not that much different. I would just say that he's more he confident. More, he's more confident. And here's the thing that we covered in the first episode we ever did of the show about how when you have a guy right behind you and there's a whole, like, uh, kind of like a culture of doubt, you can't play your best football. But once Mitch was the guy who everybody needed, he started playing his best football. And so as soon as he started to clean out those doubts, and I I don't want to, like, psychoanalyze Mitch, 
But as soon as he was the guy who everybody needed, he started playing his best football, which is what competitors do. You play your best when your best is required, and he's been doing that in the past three weeks. Now, I think he was playing pretty dang well in the first three weeks of the season, and I don't know why they benched him completely. I think in, after you pulled him in a third or fourth quarter, like, you put him back out there because he's a marquee player, right? Is there a chance that this is a total upset? Could the Bears, like, shock us and put up, again, like, 35 points and maybe maybe shut down Dalvin Cook, hold him in the, to maybe one touchdown, and cause problems for Kirk Cousins? Because his pass rush come alive. And could it be more of the 2019 Bears-Vikings matchups that we were kind of accustomed to seeing? I mean, I think that there definitely is an opportunity for an upset. I don't know if they're going to put up 33 to 35 points against the Vikes. I mean, the Vikes have a good defense. Um, but I, I would not be surprised if Trubisky makes some things happen, especially if the Bears do have similar play calling to what they did this past weekend. I think that puts Trubisky um, at ease. I also think, I know, Drew, you were really bummed when they benched him against the Falcons. Trubisky's had time to try things out in practice, get more comfortable with maybe forcing throws, building a different type of rapport with his receivers. And I think that's showing. I I think Trubisky initially didn't want to make any mistakes, and that's why he's playing so conservatively and always hitting the flat. But now he's, uh, he's not afraid to try things and force things and use his wheels because he's gifted, you know? So I, I think he's a much more dynamic quarterback than Kirk Cousins. So I do think the Bears have a shot this weekend. Kind of related to Trubisky, one great thing that I saw that he did on Sunday was, you know, they did one of those play action. They had a shallow out by I think Matt, and Mitch kind of looked off. the. Def- I don't know if you saw this, where Mitch rolls out to, um, you know, the flat on, the, on Charles Leno's side of the line. He's rolling out, he's running, and he's looking kind of into the hook curls to keep that defender off of Cole Komet so they can get those three yards. I, th- I think they need like three or four yards. So he's looking off the defender to help get the ball to Komet. And thankfully, Komet was on the same page and he didn't give up on his route, right? And so it all worked. And so it's like those little details are very encouraging. And then the other thing that I want to say is like, you're right. The play calling looks very creative. And I, don't, I think a lot of people want to say that it's because of limitations. Like Mitch can't handle – it, but you can attest to this, I think. As a quarterback, I think it's a lot harder to manage a larger playbook of creativity than it is to manage a small one in which you need to focus on making your reads correctly. I, the quarterback is a managing position. You're managing the field. Whether you're called a game manager or not, you are in charge of getting guys in the right spot and making those critical decisions. So, like, just because they are doing different things strategically on the field to stretch defenses, I don't think we should knock Mitch for having some sort of limitation and capability. He's using his brain to marshal his guys to the right spots. I think it's really encouraging. And it, I bring up the Nick Foles point because with Mitch Trubisky looking the way he looks right now and thinking about that last Vikings game, I think the Vikings secondary looked really good against us the last time we matched up. Yeah, the Vikings secondary they, looked awesome. Did, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and so, like, I think the big question mark going into this game, and maybe maybe this will impact who you pick, I don't know. I think the question is, can Mitch really perform against this secondary? Because we know our defense is going to get up to shut down their run game. And if they don't, shame on them. We know we have a good secondary, and right now we have a pass rush. 
And so the question is, can Mitch outplay the secondary? Because I, I don't know if they're going to have Eric Kendricks in there. And when the Bears don't play against high-quality linebackers like Jamie Collins or Blake Martinez, when they were injured and injected in games in the past, the run game gets to a point where it does enough to put ourselves in the position to win. So the big question is going to be, can Mitch bring that same performance this week? And, uh, I mean, I think he's capable. I'm encouraged. I, I've – I, I don't want to call myself like a Mitch defender or a Mitch apologist, but he certainly has a lot in the tank. He's a good football player. You can't allow the the media noise to paint the way you assess his football play. And so I I, I don't know how you feel, but I got I got the Bears in this one. I'm I, on the Bears train. I'm on the Bears train too. I think it'll be another low scoring game, relatively speaking, for the today's NFL. I know uh, last game was nineteen to thirteen, and the Vikings looked pretty dominant the whole game. But I'm going to go well, with scoring game is anything under a hundred total points nowadays, right? <laughs> right, right. I, I'm going to go with thirteen uh, ten Bears in a surprising upset game. Oh, I might go bold on this, David. Okay. I'm going to go 17-14. Bold prediction. Santos, 50-yard plus for the win in the final minute. Yes, I could see that. I'm, Dude, let me just say, before we sign off here, Santos has been like a blessing in disguise. He is an, a great kicker. Yes, he is. And we don't talk about <laughs> I, him enough. He's been very consistent over, this year. I would take him over any other kicker. And this is just... 48 hours after seeing Tucker win it in the last seconds, right, over the over the Browns. Like, he's got a leg. I don't know what he does, but he has a leg that can kick the football far and manage to stick it in between the poles. Yeah. It's great to see. As a kicker, all, all people want is just consistency. That's the thing. If you can't hit a if you can't hit a fifty four yarder, that's okay. As long as you're consistent hitting forty or forty five yarders. I don't know if you had a chance to watch the game, but wasn't it just just such a moment as a Bears fan to watch a team with Cody Parkey miss a field goal and an extra point, <laughs> only to lose by three points in the last few seconds? I know, I know. Literally, well, if he made those kicks, the Browns would be in command. They would almost pretty much clinch the playoff spot, right? Like. Yeah, and it, it, I don't. I'm not rooting against Cody Parkey, and I think a lot of the noise was, you know, ridiculous because kickers miss kicks. It happens, and mm-hmm. at the end of the game, it shouldn't come down to a kick. But sometimes it does. That's the truth of football. Sometimes it does. But just as a Bears fan, wasn't it just a peculiar thing to watch on a Monday night where the guy who everybody blamed for the Bears missing out on the playoffs. I mean, if you couldn't beat the Eagles that year, I don't know how much further you were going to go. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely – It was an interesting moment to have Tucker that bounced them out. It was definitely a wild game. I was there when Cody Parkey attempted a game – what would have been the game-winning field goal against the Eagles in the NFC – wild card playoff game a couple of years back and man the fans were just giving it to him I felt so bad for him I know he obviously wanted to do his best but man he does have an issue with the consistency there you have it David had the Bears 13-10 and I had the Bears 17-14 and we'll be back next week after the Bears take on the Minnesota Vikings for their second meeting this season